Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conservation, a laid-back podcast where we discuss everything from cool animals, conservation, the environment, and what we can do to help. I'm Robert Pike, a field journalist for the Global Conservation Force, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Veal, a world-renowned rhino conservationist and president of the Global Conservation Force. back to Coffee and Conservation, part two with our guest, Hein. Catch the rest of the story about this Toyota Corolla, Rhino procedures in the Kruger National Park, how we got out of it with that Toyota Corolla, and special insight into anti-poaching ranger life training and equipment. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And, I remember, and, I, 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 I rented this vehicle, and I'm just driving this thing, and these people are moving. They're not like cool, we're going to go at 20 k's an hour. We're like, they're hitting 40, I mean, Dude, 40 to 40, we're fast. 40 k's an yeah. hour. They're going, they're moving. And I'm like, shit, we have to keep up because if we don't keep up, we have no idea where the hell we are, you know? Yeah. We're just no, hitting no cell reception, just no going. GPS. They're going to literally nah. leave us in the dust. Yeah. The car and we have, is it holding up? It's a, yeah. it's a freaking normal sedan, man. We're like <laughs> hitting it. You just hear like this banging on the freaking bottom of this sedan, oh, <laughs> like going and, and I'm like looking at these guys and I'm like I don't have enough money to pay for this car if it freaking if, it, if, it, if it's freaking written off here like if it stops yeah. here yeah. I, I, I'm done like <laughs> I have to pay for this thing but anyway we're just hearing the super heavy scraping going into that thing and it's just ridiculous but meanwhile at the back of our heads we're like you know it's not a it's not a common thing where you can go dart rhinos with these people, which are the absolute freaking, um, I would say, probably the top of the of the line when it comes to this stuff. I mean, those pilots, uh, the way they dart rhinos and, and the people that you work with there, it's not an everyday thing, not for, sure. for anti-poaching ranger. And it was just a big thing. So we're like, screw this, <laughs> we're pushing through. Mm-hmm. And we just hit it, you know, we just freaking go for it. And um, yeah, well, I mean, Mike, you can continue now, but um, yeah, we just ended up like um, following these massive vehicles into the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I, awesome. I remember it felt very much like the second Ace Ventura where we're laughing and we're like, there goes the oil. <laughs> we're just like laughing. We're like, ha ha. Like, was, was that crazy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Then we're looking yeah. at each other like, ha I hope they don't notice that. And we're like, geez, here we go. <laughs> like, so after about an hour of Baja style racing in a standard rental car in the middle of the bush in the Kruger National Park. Dr. Bus kind of he stops the convoy and he laughs and he comes out and he and he goes, Okay, the helicopters are gonna come around, they're gonna pick me up. Hop in the utility vehicle, leave this thing. So we leave our, our rental car parked in literally nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. And and yeah. we're like, okay, cool, ditch it. And we just oh, jump yeah. on their vehicle, not knowing if we're gonna come back, not know if we're gonna be back. And then the rest of the day, uh, you know, we're doing rhino conservation captures and procedures. Yeah, and that ended up being an awesome, awesome day, man. One of the best so, days of my life, to be honest. Yeah. Helicopter over top. We we uh, collectively darted six rhino, relocated them, did the scientific measurements. Um. But in the process of this, so like this is something that I was very used to, you know, 
veterinary medical procedures, Hein and Ben didn't have some of the uh, basic wherewithal of what the, the do's and don'ts were. And so there are some oh, really... We, cool we don't know anything about darting rhinos. We only know new anti-poaching. Like, personally, I knew how to make sure this rhino doesn't get poached. <laughs> I didn't know anything about darting. I don't know what they used to dart this rhino. I don't know what what was. I don't even know, like, what was on this rhino. I was just like, hey. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Best day ever. Loving life. So <laughs> that's me right there. There comes so, a yeah. time and we're we're so you dart a rhino, there's a first period where they start to show signs, as we say, from the the actual drug, and then after that point they uh really go down, but they're still kind of awake, they can jump up on you. And then the next part is you do your medical assessments, treatments, all the other things, scientific measurements. And then after that, you get them back up. But the way that it's done in the field is you give them like a half reversal or there's a combo drug, essentially, that they wake up and stand up, but they're still not with it. And they're kind of trotting and you you get a rope on their legs and uh, their their snout and you direct them as they're walking so they don't fall or walk into a tree and pin and injure their face or anything like that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we're doing this part. And the funniest part about this is uh, I know where not to put my hand. And ob it's obvious, don't get in front of the rhino. But you are also pulling the rhino with you, which is a oxymoron at that point. So, you, you know, you're tethering and, and there's like five people walking to keep the rhino going straight. Um, <laughs> we're loading the rhino into uh, the, the crate. And this is the crate that's loaded out off this highly specialized vehicle. And as we're doing that, I look over and I see that Heinz's hand is right on the dart site. Now, these He's are right on it, man. Like these really. are these are opioid-based drugs, so Extreme they can kill you. Extremely toxic. Yeah, yeah. Extremely potent. A microdose of what you give an elephant or a rhino is lethal to a human. And the first thing you do is either you're wearing gloves so that your skin doesn't make direct contact. <clears throat> Uh, or you just keep your hand off that. And I look over, I go, bro, don't put your hand there. And he goes, what? What? I go, that's the dark side. <laughs> and it's weeping, you know, like, and that's normal. And yeah. uh, he goes, huh. I was like, shit, I should have told you guys this. I thought you guys knew. And then and then Dr. Buzz picks up on it. He goes, yeah, you're probably definitely going to die. So we'll just, you know, we'll figure it out later. Really? And he just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what he told me. I'm like, I'm standing there and I'm like, well. This is awkward. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. You're like, uh, and you remember, yeah. And, ben and, was, and at that point, to be honest, I knew freaking nothing about this. I all I know knew was I put my hand on this thing, like on the dart side, and and Mike was like, dude, this is not cool. And that doctor is like, yeah, like, uh, well, that's bad. If I can say it like that, he's <laughs> like, dude, like, you got fucked up. <laughs> Basically, what it gets to. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at this and I look at him and I'm like and it's literally that moment of like you think to yourself like well hell yeah. I didn't expect to go like this you're like yeah. crap mm -hmm. and then, then someone else is like dude don't worry do you have any cuts in your hand and I'm like no and they're like don't put your hand in your mouth and I'm like cool so I'm <laughs> good they're like, and then they, they're like they, yeah you're good 
let's just go wash your hands, man. Let's just go wash your hands. Like, exactly. <laughs> here's a bottle of water. And they're yeah. like, let's get this shit off your hands. And I'm like, they're like, how the hell did this, how did this escalate this quickly? How did I get this close to death? <laughs> Tossing a rhino. Just having like a great day, enjoying my life. You know, like, it was, it was freaking, it was some, it was some weird stuff. That's also a fun fact. It was the first time I ever touched a living rhino in my yes. life. Uh, that was that was a that was a cool day for me. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was rather sobering too because uh, it was the same for Ben. And now keep in mind, especially during that time, you, as an anti-pushing ranger on the ground, you do see the wildlife a lot, but you're not getting great photos because you're maybe carrying your phone, but you have a, a cell phone camera and you're at a minimum of twenty to thirty yards on average. Mm -hmm. So there's not a safe way to go about getting a photo. But unfortunately, we had processed a lot of crime, run of crime scenes. I mean, I think honestly, by that point, we had we had collectively done over at least twenty at that time. So it's it was even shocking for me to be like, oh my gosh, you know, they've never actually felt a living rhino, and like you can see it in their faces. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was amazing. It, it was a, it was an awesome day. I'll tell you that. Like before yeah. that day, I remember. I think I had about. 12 rhino carcasses actually that, that have been poached um and i mean it's not a nice thing to get to a rhino carcass it's it's not fun you know it's it's yeah. it's um it's a bit of a failure on 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 your part if you if you're a ranger and it's, it's in your area you know but you can't unfortunately get them all or at that time we couldn't it's much better at the moment um yeah that time it wasn't as good as it is now but basically that was it like you you would basically assist um the more expert guys in the well the rhino autopsy um necropsy to take the term for it. necropsy mm -hmm. thank you so and you would always you would you would have touched the rhino but it would have been a, a decaying dead carcass without its horn yeah. you know? and that was a bit demoralizing so for, for just getting onto that um that day and just touching a living warm rhino it I mean, that was years ago for me. That was literally years ago, and I still remember to this to this day. It was it's one of the best days of my life. It was just cool. absolutely amazing. Such a cool thing. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I can't, um, I can't express how much I just enjoyed that. It was yeah. amazing, amazing thing. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. I mean, even for me, it was. I at that point, let's see, it's two thousand. That was mid. 2014 i'd probably these are simple things i take for granted at the time <clears throat> i mean i'd worked with uh northern white southern white black rhino uh greater one horn rhino at that point and i had done veterinary medical procedures as a wildlife care specialist for seven years i think at that point six or seven years so i collectively i had done i mean literally probably shy of a hundred rhino procedures, uh, yeah. doing teeth exams, uh, doing, you know, all sorts of different medical procedures. And, and that's not even common in the wildlife care circuit either. It's just because of how many rhinos I worked with and where I was working and how big the population of rhinos for the rhino conservation projects were. Um, so I guess, uh, again, so flash forward, uh, probably one of my, my, 
favorite comedy moments in all the rhino procedures is the fact that uh, this entire time, keep in mind, we got new clothes, right? We got new clothes. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to hold on to this little cherry. When Hind and I bought new clothes, there was one problem that we didn't, uh, I guess, look at. As we bought clothes, just ran in, ran out. We got the right size shirts and we got the right size waistbands, but we bought skinny jeans. We got Hell yeah. skinny jeans. So we bought uh... jeans. And so now we're out there doing rhino procedures and we look like like Calvin Klein models with like skinny jeans. Sure. And Ben and boots, dude. Skinny looks, jeans and boots. <laughs> yeah, skinny jeans and boots. That was ridiculous, dude. And oh man. Ben looked completely opposite. He kind of looked like a serial killer. It's keep in mind it's like a hundred degrees outside and it's yeah. humid. And Ben is wearing a knitted spring box sweater. And he decided to continue to wear his, his tactical or his uh, camouflage pants. So he's wearing camouflage yeah. pants, tactical boots, and a knitted Springbok sweater. And and, and he's, he's German and very stereotypically German. He's very, like, to the point, succinct, very analytical. And every observation he has to be like, oh, yes, I see this. So he's, like, right over the vet's shoulder for a lot of things. And every time we turn around, we see Ben wearing his springbok knitted sweater and he's 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 like one of the vet staff now and like they're just like yeah it's like, they're wearing medical gear or sorry medical uh yeah. smocks and all sorts of stuff and then you got ben who's just like yeah and he's he's wearing he, he looks he's literally right like up in there <laughs> really yeah. so, so so funny yeah. oh he was a character dude what a freaking yeah it was a great dude well, he is a great dude. I'm yeah. pretty sure he's still alive. So, wait, how many but, rises uh, did, you end up, did you end up doing the procedures for? Wow. Was it? I think it was five or six, eh? Five or six. Dang. If I remember correctly, yeah. As I said, this is a few years ago. So, sure. I, I think it was Mike. You can correct me. I think it was six rhinos, right? That we relocated that uh, that time. Um. Yeah, we did six rhinos. Uh, three and three. Yeah. Wow. On two yeah. different days. Are you still in contact yeah. with that vet? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, I've talked to him multiple times, and then his uh, his partner is Dr. Michelle Miller, and uh, she's she's actually f she's from the U.S. working there. She's worked on so many different things, and you you end up coming across the same people multiple times, and it's it's actually sure. pretty cool because you just um, the the rhino conservation world is really small, especially like the on the ground community is it's really small and you can't really go somewhere if you're working in it without bumping into somebody, you know, um, great people, honestly, amazing. Uh, so thankful for that experience. Also loved that Dr. Bus has this calm, cool, collected dry roast comedy that he's <laughs> playing on us as well. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, just, I don't know. It's, it's also real. Even, I guess, when I was talking to Hein about hopping on the, the podcast, you know, yeah. it's one thing for me to tell my story, which I actually personally, I really don't like to, um, mm -hmm. I, I, it feels, uh, very awkward, I guess, but then to sit down and share in the, the, the comedy split is really fun because there are moments that 
Hein remembers about me that are embarrassing. I have moments from Hein. And then, you know, like there's these just funny stories of you can't make this stuff up. You literally can't make this stuff up. Uh, it was very much the Wild West of rhino conservation at that time still, especially where we were. <laughs> so mm. uh, there's a comical story where we got jumped at a bar at an undisclosed place that we won't name so that uh, if people were... Yeah. Uh, we got jumped by there's here's here's a comical rift it does exist some somewhat still but not so much as it was but there is a there's a rift between anti-poaching rangers and tour rangers so uh field field rangers and rangers at a lodge are two different things Um, it's two different jobs right yeah literally so uh comically by rangers so by anti-poaching rangers the guys who take you on a photo safari, uh, those are called Jeep jockeys in, in the anti-poaching world. And then the other, they have their own terms for the anti-poaching rangers too. Um, hold on just a second. So wait, Heinz, did, did anybody say anything about the rental car? Oh, yeah. So really? um, the rental car, yeah, that story. So basically we went, so we drive out there. This rental car, First of all, I stop. I tell the Oaks, listen, let's wash this thing. Because sure. this thing is covered in dust. Like, it's it's covered in, in dust. The, the grill is, is covered in, in, in grass. Yeah. It's, it looks like a state, you know? Like So we wash this thing. We make it look good. We're like, okay, cool. Because we still have to return this thing, right? And yeah. I really don't want to pay whatever needs to be paid if this thing is, is, is not going to make it. Yeah. And, um we drive, and as we're driving back, we start hearing the scratching now. There's a scratching sound on, you know, on the on the highway, and it's just going. And we're all sitting there, and we're like, "Shit, this thing's coming apart now, man! Something's super yeah. wrong." So we pull this thing over, and I climb under this car, and I check, and what I find is basically on this rental, you've got this basic plastic. Um, protective cover that protects the undercarriage of this car, and this whole thing (laughs) just kind of broke off from going on these, uh, as as my call the jeep trails. So it's just like Mm -hmm. trailing behind, like and under the car, just scratching like heavy. And I look at this thing, and I just pop up, and I I look at Mike, and I look at this German, and I'm just like, guys, there's no way we're paying for this. This is this is ridiculous, you know. Like, um, let's rip this off throw this away somewhere and just hand this car in and you guys climb out, I'll handle this. So we can put this stuff, we rip it off, we throw it in a boot, we get to a town, we put it in a dustbin, we drive back to the rental car agency and I get out and Mike and, and, and Ben are kind of like left just a, a little a little ways down the road so that they don't start asking everybody different questions because I suspected yeah. they would ask questions. And the guy comes out um, the rental car agent, and he's like, "Hey, how was your trip?" And I'm like, "Oh, great! You, you know, we saw some rhino." <laughs> and the yeah. guy's like, "That's sweet, bro. That's awesome. That's great. Did you enjoy the car?" I'm like, "Yeah, the car's great, dude. Just, it really, it, it, it ran very well. It, it, it exceeded my expectations." <laughs> and this guy's like, "That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Let me quickly do a quick inspection." He runs around the car. He checks. Oh, you didn't scratch it. I'm like, "No, we didn't scratch it." He's like, "That's awesome, bro. Cool. Just sign here. No damages. Cool." Sign the document. 
they're like cool absolving myself of any freaking problems they're like cool so they accept this car back with no damage wow <laughs> meanwhile the whole freaking undercarriage undercarriage like protectors lying in a dustbin just like 200 yeah. meters away <laughs> and this dude's just happy he just jumps <laughs> in the car parks it and he's like hey have a good day oh, like, that was so Sweet. good best case scenario thanks bro <laughs> too good I mean, I just think it's so cool. I mean, because you guys, obviously what, you know, the whole APU aspect, it's that you guys are making a, a the best situation of, you know, a really hard job. And um, I guess what would be, what was what, what would get you guys kind of like through the day kind of thing? Like when you guys are on patrol, was there anything that you would do to kind of just like alleviate, like you say, there's sometimes you go a whole day without, you know, seeing anything, without seeing an elephant. What's, like, what would be a typical like um, way to, sort of entertain yourself or pass the time in those long bouts of uh, nothingness? Oof. Well, I remember... Well, what a question, eh? Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome. No, that's I've great. Got, that's I've, great got a story. I've got a story at your expense, which feel free to ah, share ah, many. I'm so excited. I remember uh, <laughs> while on the, uh, on the Specialized Round Protection Unit, we were going to a boundary zone of another reserve that also was part of the Olifants river mm -hmm. uh connecting zones and yeah. we were inspecting a public facility which i'll leave uh unnamed that was notorious yeah. for letting poachers through its gated access that would then get into the kruger park uh and so and keep in mind this zone was the greater kruger park butted up directly to the kruger park and so multiple parties have to be involved to keep these areas safe well, the one of the other sergeants we were with, uh, whose nickname was Mahalan, um, he didn't always agree with everything we said. And uh, we also had Sergeant Paul Penny, who was also, <laughs> he was just like us. Uh, we were yeah. out walking on the, the edge of the Olifants River and then coming back to the road. And we got a call to go respond somewhere. So we're running. To back to the vehicle that we actually had to get to another location. Yeah. Commonly, you're not even riding inside the vehicle. You're just in the back of the, the bucky or the truck. Mm -hmm. And um, I jump on and Heinz running and he jumps on and then they floor it because that's normal. And it was like he did a SEAL Team 6 reverse buoyancy jive off the back of the truck and disappears. I'm like, oh! <laughs> and I like, slap the side of the vehicle and I go, lost time. And he goes, the fuck you did what? And like <laughs> yelling at me, and I go, "Hein, he's like the rugby player, the football player, or mm -hmm. the uh, hockey, or sorry, the rugby hockey or football player that just got freaking hammered by somebody, speared, and gets up and rocks like nothing happened, and is running back to the vehicle, <sighs> fully kitted, and hops back on, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm laughing myself to death because he's okay, but then he <gasps> he hops on, and I can see that really hurt, and he's like. Yeah, no, we're good. That's fine. Don't worry about it. And like he can barely finish the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh god. And then so yeah. uh, what we would commonly get ourselves through because they are very long days. It's very long and rough patrols too. A lot of lost sleep, no comfort. It's minimal comfort of anything. Your your friends are what get you through, and your and who you work with and laughing at each other about getting chased up a tree by a black rhino or waking up 
spitting and slapping your sleeping bag because a, a spider crawled across your face and you still have to be quiet. Uh, your camp gets raided by baboons and you lost your favorite snack and they took it. Um, somebody in like Heinz situation where they fell off the truck. You know, these are the things <laughs> you're laughing at. Um, the, a lot, and actually too, in our sense, uh, the sick twisted humor of when you make an arrest and you've got a guilty suspect and you're laughing because this hardened organized syndicate criminal dude is like, no, I didn't do that. You're like, yeah, you did. And like, you're laughing about it. So retelling the stories of like the arrests that we made, um, the comical slip ups, mess ups, the animal stories. Um, that's how we got it. true. You really, really, really had to stay away from personal memory lane. If you went down personal memory lane and personal food favorites, you only were causing yourself direct suffering during those time frames. So sure. uh, camaraderie yeah. and comedy is, was where we stayed. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. Like, um, you know, it's if you've if you got some good guys working with you, you know, that, that, that kind of motivates you a lot to get up in the morning, go do your thing, or go and do a, a whole night patrol and get up the next morning with one hour of sleep or whatever and do your thing. Um, I mean, as I said, it's not that, that things are like, again, like you'll see on the movies, special operations or whatever. Uh, it's as, as you were naming earlier, it's that, it's that days of patrolling reckon 30 kilometers and you don't see anything and you go out at night with, so you did that, you come back, maybe you'll have a, you'll have something to chow, you'll have something to drink and you'll, you'll have a quick rest and you'll go out. Um, and then it's that question where you're like, shit, man, this, this is, it's a bit difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's not nice for, for a normal person to do that. And I must agree. It, it is. If you have a great team with you, um, it's cool. It's like, you're like, you don't really care. You're like, let's do this because you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some, some jokes. There's going to be some, some funny moments and some guys doing some funny stuff. I mean, and uh, as Mike just said, like me falling off of that, um, that Bucky. And yeah, I was, I was hurt man, on that thing. I was gone. And I was just like, nah, I'm fine, bro. I'm fine. I get back on that Bucky and I'm just like, Ain't no problem. Ain't no problems here. No. <laughs> Get back on the radio and just start calling in for freaking support and stuff. But yeah, so, but yeah, on the on your question from my part, um, that is definitely an aspect of it. And furthermore, of course, is what I said earlier. That's just just an aspect of discipline. Um, there's nobody that's going to come in and tell you, hey, you need to go walk this thirty kilometers. You can go out in the morning walk two kilometers, sit under a tree and come back at six in the afternoon and chill. You know, you don't have to do anything. But it's that discipline that you also need to show that keeps you motivated to walk and do your patrols. And and that is, in many cases, a sign of a good anti-poaching ranger is a guy that is not there to do the to do the flashy jobs, you know. He's not there to be on the reaction vehicles, to be in the helicopters, to to be on um, on, on 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 the news and stuff like that. He's not the guy that always wants to be known. Yeah. It's most of the time just the guy on the ground doing his thing, disciplined with his mates, um, 
for the love of it. And that's what keeps a lot of guys motivated. It's just that discipline and that love of it and the awesome time they're having with their friends. Um, and actually doing that, as I would say, non-romantic, um, basic job, but it is so important. Um, it's one of the most important parts, I would say, it, when it comes to anti-coaching. So, yeah, that's the big thing. I, uh, I just remembered another story too. I'm so I'm going to, I'm going to officially split this into two episodes, part one, part two, because it's so good. I can't, I don't want to exclude any content, but I also want to make sure, sure we get to share some things. There was another story that uh, right. I know you're going to remember that was also one of those things where you laugh, but you're equal parts frustrated with it. Um, <laughs> we had, we had, we had safe houses. So when we were off patrol, we could go to these places that were in the middle of nowhere um literally in you know reserves and be safe from poachers because if you were in town uh, or you were being you know if you're staying at a lodge you could actually get yourself mixed up with the wrong crowd and that's pretty serious um so you'll see flashing back to beginning of 2014 uh the day the day before I go on to training there is this long dirt road out to the safe house <clears throat> and a young bull elephant who had a bad temperament and like to take, take the road, if you will, like to, uh, to hold his position. And so it would actually slow you down and, or it could be dangerous because he would mock charge you and you didn't know if he was actually going to charge and, you know, all these different things that would come with it. Uh, but most comically was, uh, Hein, Hein was driving this day as we're going to the safe house and he, the guy who was with him, he told him, whatever you do, don't, don't piss this elephant off anymore. He's a young bull looking for trouble basically. And so the guy doesn't listen. The elephant's in the way. Hein says, just, we just got to wait it out. The ranger who was with Hein in the shotgun passenger seat gets out, takes a potato from his patrol pack and throws it at the elephant. To get him off the road. <laughs> that that specific move screwed us over for like the next solid year. Because any time that elephant heard the low buzz of our little Toyota uh, pickup truck coming, he was like, "Oh yeah, what's up, dude?" And he like would he would take the road. And so there were several times we had to do. Dude, like, I remember this. I remember major. this. I just don't remember who threw that. Was it him? That who threw that freaking potato? I can't, I can't remember. remember. Who threw that potato? I can't but remember. I was like, who throws a potato at a freaking bull elephant, man? Come on! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, yeah, that's like oh. Oh, And so I remember yeah. several times. You remember we we were actually called to a different side of that reserve, and then we were going to go to the partnership zone at the crest of two other reserves, and we're we're flying oh, over yeah. there. And we yeah, blow a tire. I, I wasn't really allowed to allow the guys to go there, to be honest, like in that day and age. But because of some, you know, there's, there's a lot of politics involved in, in different, you know, places where you're allowed to take your teams and stuff. But I was just like, you know what? These guys asked for help. They've got a rhino and they've got in their eyes credible info that this rhino will be poached. I think we're on the same story, right, Mike? Yes, um, we are. And I just said, you know what, screw this. I'm going to take two teams. Uh, at that time, I was second in charge of that, um, of that 
basically the small private block in the, in the group of the DD. And I just made the decision. I said, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> ended up to be quite a quite a hectic night, but just cold as hell. But anyway, I had so much, so much explaining to do the next day. Uh, like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I was in so much trouble. <laughs> but again, it was just like, I was like, screw this. I'm not going to let a, a rhino get poached because of politics. I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take my teams. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, crazy times, bro. But yeah, uh, sorry, sorry, Mike. I'm no, you're people. good. You're good. No, don't be sorry at all. I, uh, I was chuckling too because I don't know if my my mic broke out for a second there with my connection. But uh, do you remember? And and correct me if I'm wrong. And it's a, a, the story's blending. Uh, on our route to respond, we blew a tire, and we ended so, up. Yeah. And we ended up being surrounded by a different elephant herd that was moving through the bush in a U shape, and so we're like, we gotta get this, we gotta get this changed really quick because they're like, why? Oh, oh, they're over there too. Oh, they're over there, and you just hear them like slowly crushing trees as they're eating and grazing. You're like, this is gonna get real bad yeah. real quick. Yeah. And I remember we we used to say we were cursing the olifant gods because the 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 elephantine uh, challenges they were providing for us. <laughs> And uh, then we hit our old friend in the middle of the road who <laughs> provided the extra roadblock. <laughs> yeah. And we're just like... After that potato incident, he was like, screw you guys. <laughs> he's like, oh, you guys... I'm going nowhere. He's like, this is my road. <laughs> and it was very much uh, <laughs> yeah. Jurassic Park T-Rex, too. If you challenged him, he would challenge you. And you would end up having to go in reverse on a one-way road that was dirt through the bush because he was just like, oh, yeah? Your little truck? No, you're yeah. my friend now. Yeah, like really. Yeah, well, he's gonna win that fight. <laughs> Got it. So, yeah. oh. man, you so know what, Lane? Like, oh, go ahead, Robert. I was gonna ask if, if so. If an elephant like charges you, like because when I was in Cariega, if a hippo charged you, they were like, just climb a tree. Like, what do you? How do you get away from an elephant if an elephant doesn't mock charge and actually charges you? Oh well, that depends. I mean, first of all, um. If you actually get an elephant to full on charge you, and depends, yeah. are you on foot or are you, are you in a vehicle? I, mean, I, would, if, I would. If you're in a, if you're in a vehicle, um, you could, I mean, logically just back off, get away. You have speed, you have that vehicle. Mm -hmm. But if you're on foot and you actually get charged by an elephant, I mean. <laughs> logically usually it would be a mock charge so you mm -hmm. stand your ground right mm -hmm. um luckily i've never been in this position to be honest um <laughs> never ever um having to stand off with an elephant i'm very very happy with that but um yeah you, you stand your ground um come hell or high water if it's a serious real charge the theory is that you would run at 90 degree angles and make turns um, because mm. they can't turn as fast as you can, but they can outrun you mm. and um, get away through some thickets and stuff and just disappear. They don't have great um, eyesight, obviously, but they can hear and smell you. So trying to get mm. obviously downwind and away from them. But that's, <laughs> that's theory. Um, to be honest, I don't know of, I don't know of any, scenarios where this has been practically okay, <laughs> done, where you hit some 90 degrees from an elephant yeah. i i mean i'm pretty sure there's some guys that has a lot more experience than me with elephants that that probably would give some better answers and maybe they've done it maybe it's true but 
for me personally, if an elephant comes at me, I'm going to try and stay on my ground as long as possible. Uh, don't run and hope to God it's a mock charge. If it's not, I guess we could we could try the 90 degrees, I guess. Who knows? Oh, who cares? Let's do it. I mean, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so, yeah. A uh, bit of a difficult one. So then, like, okay, so what's your, like, favorite patrol? Or, like, what, what, was, what would you like the most successful memory that, that, you, that stands out to you? Because it seems like you and Mike have a lot of stories. Do you have one that, like, is, what, if you could only tell one story to, like, let's say a stranger, like, what would be your favorite one? Oh, dude. That's a difficult question. That's a super difficult question. I mean, yeah, I'm sure. As I said, like the one of my favorites are definitely us going, me, Mike, Ben, uh, going out, uh, Ben the German, sorry, sorry, going out and, and actually uh, helping out with darting those rhinos and relocating them to a safe area. Um, sure. That would be my all time. But um, I mean, as it goes in normal anti poaching, I've got a, like a favorite day in a, in a very weird sense, as in a sense where I went out one night with the team. Uh, we got some information also on a farm where we weren't supposed to be. Um, but I decided to go out there because they said, Let's, there's a rhino that's going to be maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's being targeted to get poached and it might happen tonight. So I went out with the team, um, also got in some trouble for that, but that's fine. <laughs> went out. Um, it's easy part of the course. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I didn't join this thing to to care about any form of politics. I'm I'm there for, I joined this thing to, to do my job, you know. So basically, ended up getting into most. There were some other teams from the from that um, actual form, and basically, I decided we're gonna stand in the most logical place where these guys would come through as the guys that uh, know the form explained to us. So we were like, okay, cool. So we stand there. And I think back on this night because, in a sense, if nothing happens, that's one of the most successful um, nights for me. If if there was any problems where you know a rhino would get shot and we'd have to follow up, that's not a success for me. That's a failure. So for us to block that, um, if there was an incursion, you don't always know if there was or will be. But for us to block that in all the weeks that we could and make sure that rhino safe, that for me is a success. So basically it's prevention over actually like trying to freaking fight these oaks or whatever, just preventing them from getting to this rhino. Um, and I just remember this being one of the coldest nights of my entire life. I got there. We literally had like a ground sale on the back of this bucky and it was me and three other dudes. And I threw this ground sale out and, Basically, I told the guys, listen, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to work in four-hour shifts. We're going to stand for four hours. The next guy's going to stand. The next guy's going to stand. The next guy's going to stand. So each guy has one hour, uh, one shift this night. The rest of the time, you can be under that sail on the bucky. You can sleep. But as soon as this guy radios, whoever is on guard, you, you activate. And you need to do whatever needs to be done at that moment. And... I just remember sitting there and I'm under the sail and I check like, okay, cool. Everybody else is asleep and the one guy's outside. So I just thought as the kind of team leader at that time, let me just go check on my guy. And I get out and I check. And remember, not all anti-poaching rangers are as motivated as the others. Let me just say that most of the guys are top class, top class blokes. But 
let's be honest, not all people are the same. So I get outside and I find this guy in his sleeping bag and he's fast asleep. And I'm just like, no freaking way. There's no way you're freaking sleeping here. There's no freaking way. So I send him back. I say, no, you go back. You go freaking lie under that top where it's like nice and warm with the sleeping bags with all the other guys. I take his sleeping bag and I take his post and I sit there. And these guys know in the four-hour intervals as opposed to just like, you know, um, come and, 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 and relieve me. Mm-hmm. And the time passes and I check. Nobody's coming to relieve me. So I go back and I check where these guys, they're fast asleep. And I just think to myself, you know what? This is a this for me is a is a pretty important thing, and and I'd rather sit here this whole freaking night freezing to the bone than allowing someone to come and sleep here and let something bad happen. So basically, what happened is also like just halfway stupidity and halfway just dedication. Mm-hmm. I sat there under this tree where I could have gone and fetched that top and a few sleeping bags and let them be cold and <laughs> me be warm. Yeah. I sat there and I just froze my ass off for that whole freaking night. It was like since 11 that night till the next morning at 7 is when I got back in that bucky and we drove home. And I just remember, I, I mean, I've done some some half type cold freaking stuff in, in ice baths. And I still remember that night, the coldest experience of my night, of, of my life. I've never had cold go through to my bones as deep as that. But yeah. that's that's pretty much, I would say, for me, one of the most, the best patrols, just mm-hmm. as a memory. Um, not maybe in, as I would say, in a matter of success, you know. I think sure. a lot of guys would tell you the day that they caught someone or something like that. But for me, it was more of a, it's an experience that um, I kind of tested myself and um, it was just an awesome, awesome memory for me. That's one of the best mm-hmm. things. If I think back of it, that's what I remember. And, um, and also obviously what I named earlier with the, with the Rhino relocation. So that's, that's yeah. a big thing for me. Just an absolutely I, uh, awesome night. What's that like? I, I'll say I've got, so Robert, go ahead and ask your question and I'll derail this. I'll oh, derail sure, this sure. One. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting. You touched on it a couple of times about, you know, the sometimes people joining up to be an APU for the wrong reasons, whether it be like social media fame or like, you know, trying to catch tail or, you know, just, it just seems for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you actually just, you said it again right there. He says, if nothing happens, that's the most successful night. And I think that's a, that's a side of the APU world that a lot of people don't tend to see. I mean, you think you, people refer to like the poaching, it's like a war, it's a battle, but yeah. it seems like, you know, for the people who are actually been on the field, who are actually on patrol, you know, nobody, you know, obviously you don't want to, you don't want there to even be poachers. So you don't even really want yes. any conflict. And, and I think it's really interesting that you've, you know, you've really kind of elaborated that. And I think that's a really cool side of the APU world that, you know, even for me, who I, and I thought I knew a good fair about, never really looked at it like that. And I, and I think it's really cool that, you know, you, you kind of have that mindset. It's really, really rad. Yeah, I mean, um, if you get onto anti-poaching in any animal um, mm-hmm. or conservation of any animal in a deeper sense, it's about making sure that animal is safe. It's not about our egos or our aggressions or whatever, where we want to maybe impose ourselves on other humans. That stuff is about it all, is it? It's about um, it's literally about us getting that animal 
through whatever situation it is that it could maybe be poached. So for us to do um, any operation where we could make sure that that poacher doesn't get to that animal, that is, by my book, a win. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into the actual fight of it and, and you know, getting into a shootout, that's, for some guys, I mean, the guns and glory, I think that's, that's great, but I, I just feel they're not there for the right reasons. Your real reason is there to make sure that animal doesn't get into a situation where mm-hmm. they can get hurt. And in the same sense, you see a lot of these guys and on, on, on the internet and on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, wherever you'd like. And these dudes post themselves in super tactical gear. Like I'm talking about freaking uh, the newest condor plate carriers that I'm talking about like sleek cutback helmets, like ballistic helmets, like night vision gear with freaking IR lasers on it and stuff. And you'll find out that these guys are from Europe or sometimes even the States and, mm-hmm. and other countries. And, and they're standing there with their fancy kit and their, and their, and their rifles and stuff on these photos. And, and to be honest, no foreigner is allowed to carry a firearm in our country. I mean, when Mike was on the teams with me, the tactical teams in anti-poaching, the man was carrying a freaking tomahawk and a machete, and and he was just like freaking like he's gonna go for it, you know? Like he wasn't carrying a gun, but the same the same thing. He wasn't scared, and and he was he was he was going for it. So that's the reality of it. Like you're not that the stuff that you see on stuff is is, is honestly not truly what it is it it is a very basic game it is a man on the ground with the most basic of kit no body armor no helmets no night vision he's got a basic freaking firearm maybe a shotgun he's got some he's got a backpack on or you know a battle jacket with some extra rounds or a magazine if he's got a magazine fed firearm and and um and water yeah Matt that's what it's about. That's that basics, that that raw basics that it's about. That's the real anti-poaching game. And, mm-hmm. you know, it actually comes down to a very sad thing where a lot of guys do this for Instagram likes. And, I mean, I don't need to name or shame anybody. Um, you can go on Instagram and when you see a guy doing anti-poaching with top-tier special forces military gear, take it from me. I'm sure if you bring Calvin onto this uh, podcast, he would probably tell you, the, tell you the same thing first or anybody like that. Um, that these guys, they are not the real deal. They they are actually a problem because what happens is that they they actually take money from donors and use it to buy their own kit and buy their own gear and look freaking awesome on... Um, on on social media in Africa, wherever they may be, claiming they're doing anti-poaching. But most of the time, they're not. They spend a lot of the time on that gear. That gear is not practical for a bush. You can't walk 30 kilometers in it. You can. You, it's just impossible. It's too hot. It's too far. It's too dense for that type of kit. And these guys, to be honest, they're faking what they're doing. And, and it is really a problem in the anti-poaching industry. Um, yeah. I mean, in America, you have a lot of um, problems with guys doing stolen valor in your 
with your military services. Now, I wouldn't say this is stolen, stolen valor, but it is for sure stolen money that could have gone to actual like non-profit organizations to support serious anti-poaching efforts. But it's not. It's going to a guy trying to look cool on Instagram. And that's actually very sad. That's yeah, actually problem. a seriously big problem. Yeah. It's like, it's also too like, you know, sure, they may be on reserve and sure they may be doing vehicle patrols, but that's not the best approach. It's not the realistic approach. It's not the everyday mm-hmm. approach. It's not the, it's not the 99% of what's happening in the industry. Um, so mm-hmm. when you take, when you get someone who takes, well, as I say, like they go to a level of that level of kit, you're not actually benefiting true conservation efforts that need to be diversified and equipment needs to be light, effective, safe, and rugged for the field. I was going to say, uh, before we close out, I was going to tell one more story. Uh, cool. A comical one again, and not so comical, only comical, I guess, because we're crazy. But uh, if, on, if you can confirm, you can hear me there because the screen yeah. froze. Just hold on for one second. Okay, cool. Holy crap. Sorry, bro. So what happened is my <laughs> my my earphones went flat. So I'm, I'm on my speaker of my phone right now. And um, my Spotify just went crazy, like started pumping songs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Sorry. Okay, so yeah. what I was going to say is, is like a, a comical uh, remember when uh, before we close out. And again, I, you know, I echo everything Heinz says, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this balance of getting the message out and also telling the stories, but representing the cause. And then, you know, it's even kind of comical because I actually really myself don't have too many pictures in front of animals because it's just too difficult. Like you're not going to go out and pose really. Mm-hmm. You're lucky if somebody's there to get a photo for you and it's going to be mm-hmm. a half decent photo from a cell phone and bare, rarely is it going to be a good photo where it's like the animals right there. And sure. wow, it's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's the last thing on your mind too, you know? Yeah. It's dude. It, you're so in the moment that you forget like how awesome some of those things are. And then, and then later you're like, damn it, I really should have got a picture of that. That's stupid. Um, but this story, I'm going to make sure that I beep the names and I'm going to beep the reserve and everything. So we, we were, uh, it was a full moon time frame. So full moon is a poacher's moon. It was extra busy. Lots going on. Uh, we had been on multiple call outs. We had done two carcasses this day. We, we did two crime scenes. And then went straight on the night patrol. We were on night patrol at the junction of the R40 and the area that also covers the Olifants River junctions between multiple yeah. reserves. And the call out line gets hit. And there's active poachers in a reserve at the base of the oh. hill. And, oh, yeah. were, and oh, it was yeah, that's three, yeah. So uh Flash forward, we were laying a uh, observation ambush to, in hopes of catching guys on active intel coming into this reserve area. And it was like, I don't know, I think it was like 11 p.m. or something like that. It was cold. Yeah, it was, it was late, in the yeah. middle of the night. We were laying there for hours. You got called with Calvin to go. Yeah. And then they needed guys to, they needed backups. So they needed some reaction guys to go. 
So, so yeah. Guys, Wentz came back and literally you're like, get in the truck. We got to go right now. And was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and so like, we just, that's normal for us too. We're like, right, here we go. All over, sure. boom. We lay a, I think it was four of us. We lay a, a positioning all of us facing the hillside into this reserve. And as yeah. we're rolling up, we're hearing Sergeant and this poacher exchanging gunfire in the reserve. Yeah, and, and he is an absolute fucking machine, that man. Like, I can't even express it enough. Like, that guy was, was taking shots um, from the poachers, which at that point had a, a R1 assault rifle, uh, basically the South African version of an F and uh, FAL. Oh. And he just, that, that dude just kept his cool. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he, he did what he had to do. He, he exchanged fire. He, he moved the way he should have. And it's just, I have, I, I have no idea where he is in the world these days, but a shout out to that guy for being an absolute beast. Just a freaking wow. absolute beast. Yeah. So it's, it, we're, we're the lights, the night is illuminated by the glow of the moon. We're in camouflage and concealment mode, so we've we've uh, made our own custom little ghillies on our hat, ghillie suit style. So we're blended in on this ridge, and we're just hearing gunfire and exchanges. And these guys had come from an orange grove, cut through the fence line, and then yeah. went directly in to get these rhino. And we're on ambush mode, and we're watching for a getaway vehicle. And do you remember? Do you remember that getaway car coming down the road? Oh, and, dude, ridiculous. Just driving like, casually past us, stopping like 400 meters or not even 400, maybe 300 meters down the road yeah. and just picking, casually picking people up, you know, like yep. really? as yeah, though it's you? a normal taxi, bro. It's as though it's a normal taxi. It's just like every day picking up guys going to work. So ridiculous. So yeah. The poachers did not successfully shoot Sergeant They did not successfully shoot a rhino. They did not. Yeah. But we found out after the skirmish had happened and we were there as backup and ended up spooking the getaway car because we turned on the headlights of a vehicle and <laughs> there was a couple other things that happened. Uh, I, was, I was on the fence line for ambush and the dude, this is where things got a little crazier too. There were the dudes that were trying to get away. They, there was a, I can't remember exactly how many were in that group, but. They broke away. They hit the fence line. They clearly got shocked by the fence line, dropped their Ooh. shit. Because <laughs> these are reserve fence lines that are like Jurassic Park wire, right? They keep elephants yeah. out and in. They got shocked. Sergeant after like what was like, I don't know, a while of silence, maybe 30 to 45 minutes, there's more gunshots. And he had got up and started shooting at them again. And long story short, Poachers got away that night. They did, were not successful. We totally screwed up their game in multiple different avenues. And yeah. then we do the post-interview with Sergeant Polani. Come to find out, they have the R1 and they had the hunting rifle for the Rhino, which was, a, I think it was a, that case, it was a 375, which is this really big cartridge with a big slug. At one yeah. point in the exchange between Sergeant and... The poachers, they had, they were facing, he was facing down at them shooting and they were facing up at him shooting. And he slipped right as they took a shot 
and they shot a tree branch, which actually dropped and apparently knocked him out for like a minute or two. But really? he got up, came to, reloaded, and started chasing him again in the middle of the night. And so that yeah. was why we heard a pause because in the, in the confusion of the gunfire and the splitting up, Sergeant Polani had been knocked out by a tree branch that knocked on his head as he slipped. And then uh, basically they, yeah. he, he was so hot on their tail with a shotgun that they were just like, screw this. And they, they also, we had made, we had honked the horn on the road to signal that we were their getaway vehicle, but then spooked their getaway car. And we could actually hear their phones going off with WhatsApp notifications. So they knew like we were all over the place and these guys were just scrambling everywhere. Yeah. I think though, if I remember correctly, yeah, like that dude, the guy that shot at uh, Sergeant Pulani that time with the R1, because we still found the casings to confirm that it was actually an R1. Um, he was actually, to give more detail there, he was hiding in a ditch. And as Pulani was following him to, to get him, to arrest him, coming down into that ditch, that guy like aimed up, shot, basically shot right over his head, like just a few inches, if I'd say it like that, over his head, hit that branch and that branch fell, that big branch. I still remember seeing it lying on the road there because he actually crossed the road and into that ditch. And it was because of that situation where he had to, in some sense, take cover. You know, he had to back off a bit because he didn't have, um, I mean, there's there's no logical sense in going into a ditch with a man with the R1. I mean, think yeah. about it. Not so, yeah, he had to have that pause. And I can't remember the, you know, him being knocked out by the branch, but I mean, that's entirely probably <laughs> possible. Yeah, it was a big, also, that was a big piece of wood. You know what I'm saying? It, it yeah. fell, um, it, that fell on the, on the road. It was, it was, quite a quite a big branch actually but yeah in the end what what the story what makes the story so impressive is that that man after taking shots from that caliber of a weapon which is which is a solid that's a 7.62 um yeah. by 51 um millimeters basically massive massive um stopping power in that firearm for him just to get back up and and getting after that guy it it is absolute beast mode yeah. and um yeah I, it would actually be awesome to find that guy and just freaking in some way congratulate him for that you know like for mm -hmm. for the way he's just solid and um i'm sure if you talk to guys that knew him for longer than i did um there's more stories that you'd probably find from that guy just being being an absolute beast yes he's yeah. he had many different beast mode stories in fact we we ended up gcf sponsored his kit uh, three consecutive years and I have some awesome pictures with him just so proud of his brand new kit uh, the craziest story with that uh, particular sergeant was sergeant was embedded as the informant as a double agent in a poaching gang of uh, three or four guys and wow. the special police uh, that we were working with and I wasn't there at this time didn't know he was embedded because there was a break in communication and they opened fire on the vehicle, ended up shooting the poacher who was driving the vehicle in the back of the head. He turned, rolled the vehicle. Sergeant Polani is sitting middle in the back seat between two dudes. And uh, 
basically didn't get shot. Almost everybody in that car got shot except for him. It rolled. The vehicle, I can't remember if this situation or if it's a different one. There was a fire involved, and he walked away from that freaking accident. All poachers not walking away from it. He walked away, and it was like, oh, yeah. dude. wow. <laughs> you were yeah. lucky. Absolute so, machine. Um, okay, so if they if you recovered that R1 from that poaching incident, do you now what do you do with that kind of weapon? Do you turn it over or do you keep it? Like No, it has to be turned over. It has to be turned over. It's itemized yeah. it's, uh, part of the crime scene. Oh, okay. Because that's a cool gun to like like haha, upgrade. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if, if we were if we were on the poaching party side. Absolutely. They're always trying to sure. get weapons and guns. But since uh, we're the law enforcement adjunct in that situation, we need to yeah. take it and then hopefully connect it to other crime scenes. Yeah. But, you know, when um, you say it like that, yeah. it makes it sound like what I just said sounds silly. Well, I'm just like, no, I mean, well, I think it's a good question. I, I think yeah. it's an awesome question because um, I think there's a lot of people in, in other countries and other continents, Europe um, and America, and I think some some other continents, maybe even even Russia and, and like the more east, that that want to know these these questions. You know, they want to know these answers. Um, what happens in in South Africa in anti poaching industry? What happens? You know, what happens to these firearms and stuff like that? And and it's it's a good question with a with a very actual normal answer. Like the the police. For they for all of the stories that that might go out on on the media, they still do their job. They still get these firearms. They still do ballistic tests on them. They they do um they do the test to check if that ballistics has been detected in any other poaching incident uh, incidences or uh, other crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they track it back to where does this firearm come from? They check it for. The normal, um, the normal uh, forensic stuff, um, fingerprints and all of that, and yeah. they do the basics. They do their job. Um, yeah, so it it is a good question, and I think um, it's 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 good for people to know that there is actually police that 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 still collect that. It's just it's not just an industry on its own that mm-hmm. is that is running around and 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 kind of without guidance doing what they're doing it it is a regulated industry that still falls within laws and stuff like that um which is very important because in the end that kind of builds up cases to prosecute some poachers and um back in the day there was absolutely no good um sentences for these for these poachers and that that recently a few years back changed and just um ended up with with these um with these poachers getting some serious sentences that they actually will be sitting for 15 or more years so yeah it's awesome wow, that's great. okay well now i feel less silly about asking that question no it's not a silly question <laughs> at all yeah no it's, it, it it helps the the regular listener outside the industry connect. I was just curious because when I was, well, I've, I've been in South Africa a couple of times and one of the times, uh, one of the rangers was carrying an M1 Grand that he, it was like his, the guy who owned the reserves, like grandfathers that he used. And he said he used it for the bullet penetration because the, the bush and the thicket was so uh, dense that he needed something with high bullet penetration. 
And I was just curious because the, okay. the ranger had a shotgun, if that's not something that he would want for, for like more penetration, but it seems more, now it seems kind of like he wouldn't need it. Yeah. Um, uh, it, M1 Garand, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say that's, that is an interesting, that's an interesting weapon of choice. Really? I mean, <laughs> that's 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 not something it's first of all not a common weapon in south africa okay. at all sure um i mean personally i've never seen one so it's not a common weapon at all okay um it's like a 303 um type you know weapon from england or or germany would be more common but anyway uh, that's all bolt action but i would also then say you know, a guy saying uh, he's got more penetrating powers through the bush. Um, I think that would be a misconstrued and misleading thing to say for people, okay. for civilian people. Um, I mean, in South Africa, you still abide by laws. So Absolutely. if you can't identify a target, you cannot shoot it. If you don't have a criminal with some way or form, um, you know, presenting a threat to your life or serious bodily harm, mm-hmm. you can't just shoot a person here. That's 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 a that's a fallacy. Um, it's, it's as I said earlier, this is not a war zone. This is a it's a country with laws, and you have to abide by that laws. And that makes things a lot more difficult than a war zone because in a war zone you can identify an enemy, and you can you can open fire. Um, in a security situation in a country such as this, that's not at all possible. So it makes it a lot more difficult. You have to take the time to identify and see if this person has a weapon. You have to take the time and see if this person is a threat to you. If it's night or day, if you can't see or or, or whatever, you need to make sure you can't just shoot people. It's not the Wild West. The time has come and gone, you know. Um, So for, for me personally, someone saying that, you know, you can penetrate through bush or shrubs if you'd have it. I think that's maybe a, a misinformed person or something. Sure. Um, first of all, you, don't, you you will always identify if you have to take the shot. And that would always only be because you're trying to protect your own life. First of all, you try to arrest these people because an arrested poacher is anyway, it's, it's wor- he's worth more because of you can actually get intelligence from him and give him over to the police and get a prosecution and more intelligence. So, yeah, it, it, for me personally, I would say a shotgun in the bush felt where we are is perfect. Um, even a, a normal Glock with a, with, with a Roni attachment mm-hmm. or your normal uh, 5.56 millimeters um, AR-15s or M4s or whatever you want to call them, they're perfect for this bush that we work in because you're not, you will never shoot at a person over 50 meters because it's thick bush. You can't see them. You can't identify. And you, this is, as I said earlier, this is not a war zone. You cannot take shots at people from 200 meters away where there are no threat to you. So very interesting that that person had an M1 Garand and said that thing about, you know, having to shoot through shrubs or bush sure. personally i would think he probably just needed an answer to give you and he didn't have one 
um, because he's using his granddad's gun and he thinks it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I think that's 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 uh, the reality of it. I don't think his logic is 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 really the reason for him using that firearm. Sure. Um, and I mean, with the same, I mean, I, I say that a bit jokingly, but in the same sense, as I said um, earlier, mostly with anti-poaching, it's super basic kit. It's nothing fancy. These these guys that you see all these fancy things, they are usually guys that are just taking donations, buying themselves fancy things and putting it on Instagram. So a guy with an M1 Garand from the 1940s, it might just be because that is a hand-me-down from his granddad and he doesn't have the funds to buy something, you know, more modern and 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 sophisticated, which is there's nothing wrong with that, but that just speaks to the industry of there's not a lot of money in it and it is very basic. And that is actually the real industry. And um, yeah, I hope as well that people would actually see the industry for what it is a bit more um, in that sense. So, yeah. And then that's super, super good point there. Um, Well, gentlemen, it's been fantastic. Um, Thank you for, Joining us, if you joined us for part one and for part two, today we had special guest, uh, Hein, who uh, was one of the instructors as I joined in the formal arena of anti-poaching and formally got trained in South Africa and rhino conservation, the greatest times of rhino conservation conflict. Um, Later, after training, Hein and I became part of the Specialized Rhino Protection Unit working on what was called a tactical team and a joint operations team uh, working with police, uh, different reserves, different units, uh, and a special form of government police that also responded to intel at the time and still does. Um, So with that, I want to say thanks to Hein. I mean, your your experience, our stories, uh, and all of our comical happenings are, are... life treasures to me um and also you know to come this far down the line now you know it's we're good we're we're inching closer to a decade on this stuff uh yeah you know you you've got uh years years of service in uh law enforcement and uh conservation and anti-poaching and um you know keep up keep it up and i can't wait till the next time we get to join uh we originally were supposed to have you as a guest instructor on one of the mid-year courses this year. Of course, COVID yeah. delayed all that. Um, but I know we'll have you as a guest instructor on another. So, cool. Hein, thanks for joining us today, dude. Awesome. Uh, Robert, you. anything you have to say? Thanks, guys. Yeah, no, was, this is a blast. This was the longest we've our podcast has ever gone, too, which is super cool, which is a testament to show how cool Hein is. And we were, just, we were able to just talk Hell shop. Yeah. <laughs> right because now it's, you know it's too it's like you know um we have in every episode there's a core of real conservation information yeah. real wildlife information and also behind the scenes it's not just a simple social media post it's not just a website a blog and a, and a non-profit yeah there are hundreds of people involved in this daily or technically thousands from all walks of life all different backgrounds mm-hmm. you know telling the stories from the field really helped the uh people outside of our industry connect and better understand it so we can make better impacts because like we mentioned before taktaguchi is cool but it doesn't really have a place and purpose in anti-pushing and it really actually takes away 
Um, what's better, and in my opinion, cooler is having very trained, succinct members of an anti-poaching unit who have matching kit and have the right durable, sustainable equipment for their daily duties, which are challenging enough. And they don't need yeah. to add weight and they don't need to add challenges. Um, so exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's a big deal. Or so Hein, I think the next time we get you on, we gotta get we gotta get Calvin on. Yeah. We could we could do a we could do a, a quite a nice one with with the load of us on there. I think that would be quite fun, yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I wanna Very I wanna rad. we've been dropping episodes like little breadcrumbs and cherries, and I don't wanna put all the, the most exciting things up front because there are so many good stories. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah. I think uh in the next time we talk and visit, we need to talk about our comical trip to Sedwana Bay. And <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, I was literally like, should I name this on this podcast? Or and then I was like, no, nah, you're probably holding this for some reason. I was yeah. like, no, nah, <laughs> that so, was another trip, man. Yo. <laughs> and then I wanna also when we get Calvin on, I wanna talk about once upon a time at a rave. Where you caught a river monster. Oh, loud. Yes, we can talk about that. Here's the funniest thing, Robert. I mean, I can catch this fucking crazy ass bugs and shit that's out here and yeah. everything. But I grew up next to the sea. Sure. I don't know what's in the rivers in the inland. God damn, son. God damn. They got some monsters. I shit myself. They caught For this real? fucking fucking snake of a fucking fish. Yeah. And... Holy shit! All right. we're not we're, we're done, right? We're done with the podcast, right? No, we... we're in the closing minutes right now, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna keep this in. And I just like they pull out this freaking fish, and they're like, "Hi, grab it, grab it!" And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I jump in the water, and I grab this thing by the gill, and I just yeah. lift it up, and I look at this fucking fish, and it's got, it's massive. It looks like a snake, and it's got fucking whiskers. And I'm just like, fuck this shit. Yeah. And I should throw that thing like two meters away into the freaking water again. And I was just, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know fish. I, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I, I'm not a fisherman. I know sea fish because I do some diving. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I was just like, I crapped myself, man. I had a yeah. complete, like, I shat myself. And then, like, here's Calvin and Mike just like, breaking themselves like laughing on the on the side mm -hmm. and they're like going on about like what's wrong with you <laughs> like, why are you so scared of a fish and i'm just like i'm just saying my story like this is not a fish dude this is a monster yeah. <laughs> there's something wrong with this thing and they're like pull it out they're like show it to me and they're like bro and i think they were like this is just a river bass <laughs> and i'm like i never seen something like this <laughs> this is crazy what the fuck but uh yeah Anyway, for all of my life experience, yeah, I, I, I crapped myself for a fish, yeah? <laughs> so, for all those who tuned in, if you guys want to learn more about Global Conservation Forest, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. And until the next time, with your co-hosts, uh, Mike and Robert, and our guests today, Hein, we'll catch you guys Thanks, next guys. time. Bye. Cheers.